Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. This is where we have an open discussion on biblical. to answer and discuss the subject matter. Uh, if you joined us today through BibleQuest.tv, uh, you're using the Zoom app where you can text in your questions and comments uh, through the Q&A window in the app. Our panelists are Scott from uh, Gettysburg, PA. Hi, Scott. How you doing? Hey, Drew. How are you doing today? Good to have you here. Uh, also in Gettysburg is Stephen. Hi, Stephen. And Stephen, I believe we're broadcasting from your Facebook page. Why don't you give them instructions? Yes, that's correct. If you are tuning in from my Facebook page, please just leave your question or comment in the comments below, and we'll try to get that to that as soon as we can. Fantastic. We also have with us uh, this week, Je- uh, sorry about that. <laughs> Jeff, you're in Exton, right? Right. Uh, good to have you here today. How you doing? Thank you very much. I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. And, and Noah Andrews, our uh, webcast engineer, is helping us out with the questions and monitor. How are you doing, Noah? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So um, we got a couple of questions coming in uh, that we actually we didn't get to them uh, from last week. And let me just get my notes up here. Um, so some people believe that um, Mary... Um, the mother of Jesus uh, remained the virgin all her life, and uh, the Catholic Church, for one, teaches that she remained virgin. That yet the scriptures indicates that Jesus has br- had brothers, uh, physical bro- brothers, and so the question is: Did Jesus really have brothers? One of you guys want to handle? We'll start off with that. Well, that's an important question, and we want to look at the scriptures for the answer to that question. Sometimes. When different religious traditions disagree about a particular detail, we just got to go back to the text. Um, let's look at Matthew chapter 13 on that. Matthew chapter 13 um, and the end of the chapter. Uh, let's start reading in verse 53. So this is Matthew 13, 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they take offense at him. But uh, Matthew 13, I think, gives us a pretty clear indication uh, that Jesus has other siblings. Uh, and not just brothers, but he has sisters as well. After mentioning that he's the carpenter's son, his mother's name is Mary. Again, this would be his immediate family. Uh, he mentions the, the names of four of his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. And uh, he mentions his, his sisters as well. as doesn't name or count all of them. But uh, I think from this verse, we have clear indication scripturally that Jesus did have brothers and sisters. Yeah, but Stephen, um, many years ago, I went to uh, my priest at that time and and showed him that, and he's saying that's referring to his relatives, his kin. How do we know that that's not the case? So 
well, it certainly would be his relatives. They're his brothers and sisters. That's what, that's what the text says. I would, I would agree with that. Uh, what, what do you mean? Do you mean they're saying that there's some other type of relative? Yeah, I guess from this scripture, you really can't say that they're cousins because it's referring to sisters and brothers. Uh, is that word brother? Could that word brother be referred to cousins or referenced to being cousins? Not to my knowledge. Uh, Scott or Jeff, do you have a thought on that? The word brother could be used in a broad enough sense to even just include fellow countrymen, like uh, in uh, men and brethren, what shall we do? Uh, Paul will talk about my brothers according to the flesh, meaning fellow Israelites. So it can be used very broadly. But in this context, it's really clear what kind of brother we're talking about, because it's the people from his hometown saying, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters all here with us. It's a description, obviously, of his family. Um, and, you know, there's some other references to his brothers. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 5. That's John chapter 7, verse 5. It mentions what? His own brothers at that point didn't believe on him. Um, and uh, in Galatians 1, Paul refers to James, the brother of Jesus. And you remember the a point that Paul it's makes Galatians about... Galatians one nineteen is that, that verse. Galatians one nineteen. Go ahead, Scott. Thank you. And uh, what does Paul, when he's discussing marriage, his choice not to, but the fact that he had a right to be married. You remember that over there in 1 Corinthians 9? Have we not a right to lead about a wife that is a believer uh, as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas? So new references to the brothers. Mention just this in connection with the passage in Matthew chapter 13 and the idea that the context there would be talking about an immediate family kind of thing. This is not proof positive, but if you think about the idea that it was talking about all his extended relatives, um, well, he would have had many more extended relatives that could have been called brothers than just James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. Um, you know, when you talk about Paul's brethren, my, or, or Peter, when he says men and brethren in Acts 2 that you mentioned, we're talking about thousands, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, so, yeah. And the, the concept of... Uh, Go ahead, Drew. The concept of... Uh, the, the continuing virginity of Mary, I don't think it started until several hundreds of years later, right? I mean, I can't remember, but I thought it was it could have been as recent, as recent as 11th or 12th century. I believe it was before that, but it, it, it wasn't something we see in the writings of the apostles and prophets in the first century. I'm not sure when it came in, but I don't believe it was that late. Okay. Okay. Uh, helpful. A whole helpful verse on that in Matthew chapter one, yeah. uh, just related to this question about did Mary have other children? Uh, in Matthew chapter one, again going to the text, we'll pick up in uh, verse twenty-four, Matthew one twenty-four, and again Joseph has just uh, found out that Mary is with child, and of course he assumes there's only one way that that could happen and that she has been unfaithful, and so he is resolving to put her away. But then he gets this dream uh, from an angel of the Lord, and he says, don't, don't be afraid to marry her. The child is from the Holy Spirit, and this is going to fulfill the prophecy. 
So then verse 24, Matthew 1, 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So there you have kind of the, the timetable here is that Joseph did not come together with Mary until when? After the birth of Jesus. After the birth of Jesus. And the implication Born. is he would have come together with her after she had given birth to a son. Sometimes I've heard people argue that, uh, that these brothers are actually half brothers. Joseph had been married before, had some children, and then he marries Mary. Uh, and of course, you know, if sometimes there's a widow and he has children and people do marry and such, but there's, there's no need for that kind of speculation because that argument comes from a desire to teach that Mary was a virgin her whole life. And from the, from the verse we just read, it's, that Stephen read to us at the end of Matthew chapter one, it's very clear that she was, she was a virgin up until the birth of Jesus. So there's no need to try to create uh, imaginary situations where she would have been because she wasn't. Well, also uh, technically those others mentioned in Matthew 13 were his half brothers, same mother, different fathers. Oh yeah. 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 Right there. Right. But Jesus does have other biological siblings. That's the point. Half siblings, yes. 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 um, We had another question come in from Joe asking, uh, wasn't there a passage that talked about uh, Christians saying that Jesus' mother and brother were waiting for him, and he said, paraphrasing, this is my mother and my brother, referring to his brethren. I might be mistaken. You're not mistaken, Joe. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35 uh, is that text. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 31 And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, some may misconstrue this passage to say, Oh, well, here Jesus is proving that his physical family isn't his physical family. But that's not the point. The text says that it was his mother and his brothers. And I don't think even people who uh, would try to deny that Jesus had siblings would say that, oh, this isn't actually his mother. No, this is Mary standing outside. It's also his physical half-brothers standing outside. And, but the point Jesus is making is that those who do the will of God are his spiritual family. He makes a parallel between his physical family and his spiritual family, but he's not trying to say he didn't have this physical family at all. In fact, in fact, the context, if it wasn't physical brothers in the context, the argument wouldn't hold. That's what makes the argument hold. In fact, there were physical brothers there. Mm -hmm. Uh, The same incident is uh, also recorded by Matthew, and it's in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 46. And so in Matthew's account, you have the two passages we've discussed where his brothers are mentioned right there, you know, chapter 12 and chapter 13. That's kind of convenient if you're ever looking at those that way. Now, uh, and we, we, actually, go ahead. 
I'm sorry, we already answered the question, but Herman had mentioned that says in that question, in his comment back to the discussion, that the Catholics say that they were his cousins. We did answer that, but maybe I didn't get the question answered for me. Uh, Jeff, isn't there a Hebrew word that is specifically referring to as kin that could be used for cousins, or is there not? Hebrew word? I'm sorry, uh, Greek word. Greek word, yeah. There is a word for cousin, um, and I can't think of it right now. But it's not the the, he, the Greek word that's for no. brother. Yeah, so it's a different word if it was going to be cousins. Yeah. Um, anything else there before we get and to that? All of those attempts. All of those attempts are really just moot when you get the fact that the Bible tells us when she was a virgin. She was a virgin until uh, Jesus was born. So everything else trying to explain these brothers and sisters away is is uh, kind of wasted time since the text tells us when she was a virgin. And, and another thing to do just to mention, Joseph took her as his wife. How does Genesis 2 define marriage? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In 1 Corinthians 7, they're not to defraud each other. Uh, This was a biblical marriage, not an unbiblical. uh, Anepsias is the word for cousin. It's used in Colossians 4. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, so there's another question that did come in on the topic from Jenny. Uh, why do Catholics seem to believe Mary is as holy as Christ? I have asked a couple of them why they put her above him in prayer. One told me she is more blessed because she was chosen to bring him into the world. So she is the queen of heaven. Interesting. There are three things I'd like to mention here real quickly. One is, Interestingly, the, the term queen of heaven is found in the Bible, but it's used with reference to pagan deity in the book of Jeremiah. Hmm. Uh, the second is that historically, part of the reason, uh, Philip Schaff makes this argument in his church history, um, or history of the Christian church. Uh, he talks about that as in, you get into the fourth century and many pagans are superficially converting to Christianity because now Constantine is supposedly a Christian. And so it's popular to be a Christian, but they're bringing with them all their pagan mentalities, the old hero worship and deification of, of human beings is now coming over in such uh, practices as the veneration of Mary. But the, the, the real important point I want to make is this is John 11, John chapter 11 and uh, I'm sorry, it's not John chapter 11. Um, I'm trying to, um, Luke 11, Luke 11. Um, Luke 11, and it's going to be about verse 27 and 28. If Mary were to be set on a pedestal, if she were to be exalted, if she were to be someone we were to pray to, if she were to be regarded as the queen of heaven, all of that sort of thing, um, this is the occasion where Jesus had the opportunity to make that point. Verse 27, it came to pass as he said these things, a certain woman out of the multitude lifted up her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bare thee and the breasts which thou didst suck. Basically she's saying, you know, she's, she's praising Jesus by saying the woman who brought you into the world, she's great. If Mary were to be exalted, here's where Jesus could have said, you are right. And as a matter of fact, you will be praying to her. 
or something along those lines. Instead, here's Jesus' response, verse 28. But he said, yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. In that, in that statement, Jesus makes it clear that everyone who serves God, uh, they are blessed and Mary's right there with them. Excellent, excellent yeah. point, Jeff. Anyway, I'll add this. There has been the idea in, in Catholic lore that Mary is a more sympathetic ear than Jesus would be. And that if you appeal to Mary, then her sympathy will carry weight. She'll go to Jesus and she'll intercede for you with Jesus. And you'll get better results than if you go directly to Jesus. That's been an idea that has been around in Catholic thinking. Like if Jesus closes the door, Mary will open the window. There you go. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think a lot of kids have found growing up, you know, you don't want to be in trouble with dad, but, you know, you can get mom to be on your side. <laughs> and, and really, going back to the paganism, uh, a lot of them were used to a female deity, a, a mother goddess or earth goddess or something. And this filled an emotional uh, need that some of them had. Took a, a great woman, Mary, who, who, who did a wonderful thing uh, and made her into something she would never want to be. Perfect. That's one thing that strikes me is that Mary is such a humble woman. Uh, you know, when she finds out she's going to be the mother of you know, the son of God, uh, she said, you know, behold the handmaiden of the Lord, let it be to me according to your will. You know, she is just not looking for attention in this. Uh, Mary may have been rather young when she found that out. And we just don't see her looking for that kind of attention, that kind of uh, veneration. And uh, sometimes I, I wonder, I don't know about the other side of this life, but if she was looking down at what was happening now, how, oh, yeah. how appalled she would be, you know, yeah. at the way people are treating her in comparison to Jesus, who, who yeah. is God come to earth uh, Mary is certainly to be commended for her role. Uh, he did say, blessed are you among women. But to, to the level that, at which it's happened, I think Mary herself would be appalled. Yeah. yeah. The Jeremiah passage where the phrase queen of he heaven occurs, let's just read it real quickly. Um, the Lord saying, where, where in Jeremiah is it? Jer I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 17. Jeremiah chapter 7. It's actually in verse 18, but I'll start reading verse 17. Lord says, do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out libations to other gods in order to spite me. Wow. So queen of heaven, there is a pagan deity. That's not, not someone you want to be worshiping. <laughs> no, no. Right, let me one, get last, one last comment, and then maybe we'll move to our next question. All right, go ahead. But you remember in 1 Timothy 2 where it talks about, uh, this is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Timothy 2, 5. There's one God, one mediator also between God and men, himself, Christ Jesus. Uh, there's one mediator, it's Jesus. And I have seen in Catholic literature it says, yeah, but Mary is a mediatrix. Oh, <laughs> not a mediator or mediatrice or something instead Tricks. of a mediator. Yeah. All right, I was going to go to the next question, but 
another comment came in on this topic from Jenny, and uh, I've never heard this before. Jenny says that she's been told that Mary is particularly more understanding towards women. Oh, towards women. I missed that part of it. Yeah. That would fit in today's culture, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know where if I, I, Jenny's not saying she believes that, but that's what she's been told. I, I don't know where such a thought. I just want to know which of the apostles or members of the family, you know, was overly tall and rode a motorcycle. So I don't know which one to pray to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. let me get to this next. For for, for our viewers, Scott is. Overly tall and rides a motorcycle. <laughs> he's, he's looking for somebody like him. <laughs> yeah, I think what we'd see scripturally is just that Jesus is sympathetic to all equally. Uh, he is our mediator. Uh, he's been tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. So he can be our high priest. In Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter two. Uh, and come so, unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, not pick somebody from the Bible to come to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the next, what's the next question? Yeah, the next question is in reference to uh, the letter Philemon. Um, in Philemon chapter 2, Paul addresses the church in Philemon's house. Um, my question is, this is from Randy. My question is, could the Colossian letter be written to those same people that are in Philemon's house? And... Uh, yeah, I guess it could be possible, right? What do you say there, Jeff? Okay, I think I've got a PowerPoint on screen. Is it there where everybody can see yes. it? Yep. I can see it. So uh, the idea here is that uh, it says Ephesians up at the top, but we're going to talk about Colossians and Philemon. And uh, all three of these letters, actually, Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, are written about the same time and carried by the same couriers. Here we see Paul's messenger is Tychicus, and with him is Onesimus. So in Colossians 4, there in the little scroll, it says, starting in verse 7, Paul writes, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brethren, brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information, for I've sent him to you. And then down in verse 9, And with him, Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. So Onesimus is one of the number of the saints at Colossae. And Paul sends Tychicus, and he sends Onesimus with Tychicus to them. Well, um, when we look at Philemon, Onesimus is this runaway slave who's come to where Paul is, and now Paul is sending him back. And he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I've begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me, I have sent him back to you in person. So both in Philemon and Colossians, we have Philemon being sent back, and Philemon, uh, Onesimus, is said to be one of the saints at Colossae. Uh, So he says, I've sent him back to you in person. Then you look at Paul's companions who are mentioned in these letters. In Philemon, the people who are with Paul at the time he sends Onesimus back are Epaphras. He's also with Paul when he writes Colossians. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. 
So the same people are with Paul when he writes Philemon and when he writes Colossians. He's sending Onesimus in both cases. And then you have this. In Colossians, Paul writes to the church at Colossae, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And in Philemon, when he sends Onesimus back to Philemon, he says uh, he greets uh, not only uh, Philemon and Aphia, but but Archippus, our fellow soldier. And then he says to the church in your house. So he greets the church in Philemon's house. He's sending Onesimus back to Philemon. The same people are greeted. The same people are with Paul when he sends it. And Onesimus is said to be one of the saints there in the church at Colossae. So all that leads to this. There was a church meeting in Philemon's house. There's Philemon's house right there. If you wondered why. Like your artwork there, Jeff. That looks good. All right, great. (laughs) And the Colossians, the saints at Colossae, are meeting in Philemon's house. Makes sense? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, as I'm going through this, that's telling, this is off topic, but using that very text, the two letters, it kind of tells me that, you know, I've, I've heard often that these letters and, and the Christianity in, in itself has been made up over hundreds of years. The story has been made up and embellished and, and, and evolved over hundreds of years. Well, if that's the case, then these letters, I mean, what kind of mindset would it take to put in these little subtle details about all of the different people in different areas when it was made up over hundreds of years by different people. It, it, it's like an impossibility, right? Or am I making too much of that? No, I think it has the ring of authenticity, yeah. of authentic letters. Um, so, you know, if we came across these letters from ancient times and they weren't about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't think we'd have people um, besmirching their authenticity. Uh, someone was asking for the Jeremiah chapter again. I just responded on that. Uh, it was Jeremiah 7, 17 oh. and 18. That's the passage on the queen of heaven. Okay, uh, good. I, I brought up about Mary. All right. I'm sorry. I didn't see Mary in that passage, but that's when the phrase queen of heaven appears in scripture. Cool. Okay. Thank you for taking care of that, Stephen. Welcome. Okay. So I think we answered Randy's question there. Good, good discussion. And now we get into another one. Um, about the, the subject of baptism, uh, this question came in from Carol a couple, I think it was last show or the one before that. Uh, if a person is baptized in, let's say, the Baptist church, do they need to be baptized again? Maybe we need a little clarification of terms and definition here. Um, it says, if a person is baptized in the Baptist church, do they need to be baptized again? Well, maybe we ought to start with the question, why would anyone even be baptized to begin with? What's, what's the purpose? Uh, and that's also, there's another question there, too. That that's are, related to it. Yeah, let's get that question on the table, and then let's start looking yeah. at, at this one first. Which is the that's second the part of the same discussion. Yeah. Uh, are women permitted to perform baptisms? And they, they, by the way, these, these, quite, this, these two questions were asked at the same time together. So, okay. why don't you go ahead and uh, start on that one? Uh, I don't think that's me. I don't know where that came from. Me. Sorry. That's all right. Let's begin with First uh, Corinthians chapter one, 
It's well, no, let's let's yeah, let's do begin with First Corinthians chapter one, and then let's make a distinction about why this would matter. Let's look at what Baptist doctrine is and and why that would be concerning. But before we look at that, let's just look at a general principle from First Corinthians chapter one and verse uh, seventeen, where. Paul is glad that he is not the one that had personally been doing the baptisms of most of them because they were, they were starting to align up with who, who they're following. And so he said, um, were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you say Crispus and Gaius. Unless you should say you were baptized into my name. He says, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. I'm in first Corinthians chapter one, verse 17. He said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, that's kind of a not-but construction that we often see in the New Testament. Of course, he, Jesus sent out the apostles and told them, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The point here is it's not as important who did it as what is being done and who is being preached. Um, and so we'll keep that in mind as we start looking at these things. But let's start with the one about the baptistry. Why would it be concerning if I came to you and I said, I was baptized by a Baptist preacher in a Baptist church, why would that be a potential concern? What is taught by pretty much or pretty much all Southern Baptists, and I think a lot of Baptists, what is their message about baptism and about how to even become a Christian? Well, they don't teach that baptism is required for salvation, for forgiveness of sins. In fact, many of them are adamant and sometimes almost militant that you do not have to be baptized. And so their, their idea is baptism is for somebody who's already been saved and it's required to make somebody a member of the Southern Baptist denomination, for example, uh, baptized into the denomination. Let let me add here. I don't know who's in the audience. If there are any Baptists in the audience, if, if, if we're saying something that's true about that, that's our understanding of it. Please put your comments in and questions in, but that's our understanding. Yeah, we are. We'd love to hear from them. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't want to create a, a straw argument here, That, but that is their belief. I, I, right. I've known that. Like for years, Baptist preachers have been arguing that Acts 2.38, you remember in Acts 2, uh, the the thousands of people are listening to Peter. They've, they've seen the evidences from the, the wind and the apostles speaking in the languages the prophecies brought forward, the announcement that Jesus was risen from the dead, that he's the one that sent forth all this. And as the people in verse 36, they were cut, uh, in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do? Peter's answer was, this is Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, unto the remission of your sins. And for years, a lot of Baptist preachers try to redefine that and say, no, that doesn't mean that it means repent because your sins are already forgiven. And that's not what any translation says. It's not what the Greek says. It's not uh, what Peter said. Um, but that just gives you an idea of the, the teaching and the idea that a lot of, that a lot of Baptist preachers uh, have and have been putting forward. So let me just throw out a question real quickly here. If, I was baptized in the Baptist church, and it went like this. They said, uh, Jeff, we hear you want to be baptized. And, and I said, yes. And they said, well, first you have to have been saved. Have you been saved? And I would s- 
Suppose I said, yes. And they said, when were you saved? And I said, well, when I believed, uh, when I accepted Jesus as my personal savior. And that happened to me about five years ago. And they said, very good. That's a good answer. That's what the Baptist would say. And then they said, now, okay, then we'll baptize you. And you will then become, by being baptized, you'll be now a member of the Baptist church, the Baptist denomination. And I said, okay, yeah, I'm ready to do that. All right, when I have when, if that's what has happened, have I been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Have I been baptized into Christ, into the body of Christ? Have I been baptized for the remission of sins? You weren't even or, intending to be. Of what? Or what, Scott? You weren't even intending to. That's not I wasn't what even intending. Yeah, yeah. I, I got dunked, but I got dunked for some other reason other than what we're talking about in the Bible. And we have an example in Acts 19 of some people who are baptized in the name of John rather than the name of Jesus, and they had to be baptized again. But there's another scenario that I think we want to talk about. Yeah, and that's the one that we're going to Let me just throw this out too. Not most, but there are some Baptist churches in the South where also you have to get voted on to get in. And so I remember people telling me, yeah, you had to, you had to tell your experience how you had gotten called. And so, and this one girl, she was saying, we just made it up because we heard what everybody else said and we wanted to be in there. So we said we felt a warm glow or whatever. And then they voted on us. Yep, she she got called. And so then they vote and then you can uh, do that. And of course, those are all things foreign to the Bible. Yeah, now where, where, where Jeff was going was where the, what promoted or prompted the question was, uh, here's an individual, I know of at least one person in this category, where when I explained to them that um, they said, oh, they were baptized, um, they were baptized in in, in the Baptist church. I forgot how the conversation started, but, and I said, oh, are you aware that, you know, they don't teach baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. And she was shocked. Mm -hmm. She said, well, no, that's what I was baptized for. I, I I was baptized because I needed to be baptized for forgiveness of sins because that's the way she read it in the scriptures. So she learned that somewhere from scriptures and she was shocked that that's not why. So now in that scenario, I think is what promoted or prompted Carol to ask the question, the person in that position, do they need to be baptized again when they, when someone brings it up? So if someone has a biblical understanding of baptism in their own mind, when they're baptized, but perhaps the person doing the baptizing or maybe even the religious organization where they are baptized uh, does not have a biblical understanding of baptism. What about that person? Is that, is that a fair representation of the question? That's exactly right. The person doing the immersion or doing the, the dunking doesn't have the concept of the scriptural practice for, for doing it for sins, but the person that's being immersed, they do. And that happens. That happens sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, but there, there are people that are preaching that are just, just absolute hypocrites. And you remember when Paul talked about some people were preaching out of envy and strife? There are some people that are, are not truly being disciples of Jesus. They're going through the show of outward motions. Uh, they're not right with God. But if they've taught someone else, what Jesus said, and the person has looked at the word, and they're responding in faith and obedience to Jesus Christ, who did the the dunking is not not as relevant 
as the person that is submitting their life to Christ. I don't think I'm not sure we've answered the question yet, though. You, you, I think we got just a little ahead of ourselves there. Uh, I think what, where we're going with this is a person baptized in a Baptist church, and whether that means they were baptized in a Baptist church building or whether that means they were baptized by a Baptist preacher. But if that individual is, is wanting to be baptized because that individual has seen in God's word, I need to be baptized into Christ. I need to be baptized for the remission of my sins regardless of who does the baptizing, regardless of the spiritual condition of the one who does the baptizing, even regardless of the conviction of the one who's done the baptizing, if the one who is being baptized is saying, I am being baptized for the remission of my sins, I, am, I need to be baptized into Christ, that's what matters, then I would say that baptism is valid. Yes, I would, I would agree with you. And if we get into a discussion of, well, if the person doing the baptizing has something wrong doctrinally or morally or whatever. Um, or if the organization in which they're baptized, you know, has something wrong, then suddenly we end up with like this chain. It can become a chain reaction effect where, well, if the, what if the person who baptized me had not had a correct, baptism you know or a eight, person who baptized baptizers them. back there was right. a oh, i have questions about Stephen. so right and just the whole thing kind of falls apart and again coming back to first corinthians chapter one that scott mentioned earlier uh paul emphasizes that he was grateful he wasn't the one to be doing the baptizing so they wouldn't get the wrong idea about him because the person doing the baptizing is not what's important Mm-hmm. The reason that a person is baptized is important in the scriptures. Yeah, I'd like to, uh, I was going to add a, another experience from someone I know, but there's someone in the audience that just is sharing this experience with us. Um, I didn't mention this before, but let me just mention a technical thing. Sometimes people in the audience, and I'm hoping this happens, they want to actually voice their comment or question to us, like on a phone where we can, everyone can hear it. You can do that. If you want, if you're coming in from the app, you can click the uh, little high, um, what raising your hand icon, and that'll tell us that you wanted to come in and talk to us directly. So that's possible. But uh, Roland had brought this in, and I'm not sure if this came in from the Facebook or, the, or from the app. He said, I was baptized in my Baptist church for forgiveness of sin and nothing else was expected. No feeling, no other reason. Elder said, okay, but years later was baptized again to be certain. So I, from what I understand what Roland you're saying is that you were baptized for the forgiveness of sins in your mind, and maybe others in that, at that same event recognize it as well. But somewhere along the line, you went ahead and because someone maybe talked you further into it or you wanted to make sure or someone else wanted to make sure, you went ahead and did it again. I hope that's what you're saying here, and I'm not mis misquoting you but i think that's what it's saying right guys but with, with some question in his mind it sounded like he just wanted to make sure yeah and that's okay too right right Scott? Let, yeah let, let me tell you a story uh i'm gonna make it real brief um when i was in the czech republic i was i was studying with a woman and keep in mind in the czech republic people that knew anything about baptism a lot of them had been sprinkled as a baby to remove Adam's sin. And so I had this chart and I would go through, you know, uh, who's it for, believers or babies? Uh, 
Uh, and what is it? Is it sprinkling or immersion? And, you know, what's it to do? It doesn't take anything away or it takes away Adamson or Mountain. And I kept going over this with her. And then she said, she said, why, why do you keep going over this? And I said, well, because there's so many people teaching different from what the Bible says. And she pointed out the way she did it. She said it was as a believer and it was immersion and it was for the forgiveness of my sins. She said, I knew my church taught something different, but she had looked in the Bible, what to do. And so she said, I had my friend baptize me in my bathtub. You know, so I just reached out and shook her hand. You know, she didn't need me to do something for her. I was trying to present the word. She'd already seen that in the word. She'd already done what uh, the scripture had said. You know, okay. So in the case of uh, Roland, then um, it's oh, fine to be baptized again. If there's some question in your mind or a question anywhere along the passage, it doesn't uh, along the path. That that's not harmful or wrong, right, guys? No, no. If, if a person's uncertain, better to be certain. Yeah. yeah. In my particular, not my case, but in a person I know's case, he believed and realized it was for the beginning of the sins all along, and he went ahead and was baptized again only because there were some individuals at the congregation where he was worshiping at that their conscience were not settled. It was because of their conscience. And he went ahead and was baptized again. I would sum it kind of up like this. Not every person understands everything when they come to Christ, of course, and we're to grow in our knowledge. But the more our response to Christ was in faith and submission coming to Jesus, the Savior, who died for our sins and is offering it there. And it's we're coming to him. We want his salvation and, and to submit to him as Lord. The more we're focused on that, uh, as opposed to I'm been taught all these things by this religious denomination and I've been taught false things about salvation and everything else. And then they asked me to do this to become a member of their organization. No. That's the problem uh, on one side and the other is people responding to Jesus Christ. Let me throw this out because we're about to run out of time. The lady who said, I asked my friend to baptize me in a bathtub. I didn't stop and ask her if it was a man or a woman. I think generally you would, because of the nature of the New Testament, you would look to a man to do that. But in a case like that, um, if it was a woman who was there handy, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Um, we've got so a, you had a, yeah, we've question. got a comment here, a question. Somebody says that some of her Facebook, Facebook friends believe that the baptizer needs to be ordained. Uh, that goes back to an idea uh, that back in the, for, for example, in the 1700s and 1800s in the Church of England, you had a whole debate going on. Uh, about whether or not uh, the church as an institution was in control of salvation. And so they thought, the high church Anglicans claimed that they had a succession of bishops going all the way back to the first century, and each one was ordained by a previous ordained bishop all the way back, and that the church was embodied in in this institution. And so then, to be saved, somebody had to be baptized and receive the sacraments from an official representative of this official, visible, institutional church. And, uh, of course, 
the church does not save anyone. The church is those who are saved. Uh, we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But that, that idea of having to have ordination is linked to the concept that the church is an institution to save people. And so, in short, we would say that the Bible doesn't talk about people being ordained by right. some human right. institution, but any Christian can baptize someone. Um, there, there's not uh, a distinction between some, uh, you know, that are authoritative and have the ability to baptize and others who don't, uh, that that's just not what we see in the Bible. And so someone does not have to be ordained in order to do baptizing. And, and that's what they're meaning when the question is asked, uh, Jenny also add, what does it mean that when someone is ordained and that's what it means. Someone that is officially ordained by the church hierarchy, a church hierarchy. And that there's no ex examples or, or, or uh, precedent for that in the scriptures. You know what? We ran out of time. Yeah, uh, we did. And before we close though, um, we got more questions we'll pick up next week and we do want more questions coming in. In fact, I didn't do this last time, but I want to share my screen uh, with the closing screen that we're now making available for people that may be, uh, in our areas, uh, Exton or Gettysburg or Honesdale, um, that we want to make our phones available. If you have any questions that you want to contact us directly with, you want to follow up with any kind of a in-depth study, because we're just touching the surface in a lot of these discussions and, uh, and topics yeah. and questions. So you yeah. see, but you see the the numbers on the phone. I'll leave it there as we're closing out. And just give us a call. I mean, we'll make our now. Of course, if we're in the middle of a meeting or something else, go in the voicemail, leave a message, and a return number we can get you. Uh, Scott, would you want to add to that? I just want to mention uh, on the point I was mentioning before about gender in baptism. Uh, sure. We see males, of course, in leadership in the early church, and, and as it should be, and we see males doing baptism. I wouldn't promote having a well. Let's go have this sister go do the baptism for some type of uh, feminist type statement or something. But you have situations where uh, I remember there was a church uh, in Florida that all the members were women. They had no male members. Um, and you've got a different situation there than you do other places. Thank you. All right, good. And I just one more plug for our podcast. If anyone wants to get the show um, from a third option by having a podcast and subscribe to it so you can listen to it at any time, 24-7, any shows, go to our website, BibleQuest.tv, and click on the uh, iTunes or Google Play buttons. There's two up there, and whatever device you're on, you can subscribe to it through our podcast. Well, guys, I want to thank you all for your participation and your input, guys, and uh, look forward to seeing you uh, next week. Thanks, Drew. Right. Thank you. Take care. Bye.